To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. The pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. I mean, the notion that you could cut respiratory infections, there's no study in the world that shows that masks work that well. We've gotten so used to the masks that we don't realize that there's a large volume of people that are wearing it, not because of COVID, because they're criminals. You'll get some people, mostly the vulnerable, the elderly and those with underlying conditions, will fall by the wayside. They'll get infected, they'll get hospitalized, and some will die. I mean, look at what's happened. I sometimes underestimate it because I stop thinking about it, but I'm sure you don't. Patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. We couldn't do any of this without you. To support the show, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. You'll get access to our second weekly bonus episode and entire back catalog of bonus episodes. And if you'd like to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pick up a copy of Health Communism at your local bookstore, pre-ordered Jules's new book coming in January called A Short History of Transmisogyny, or request them both at your local library and follow us at deathpanel underscore. So I'm really excited today. Uh, actually, well, I'm feeling nearly as much excitement as I am dread. Repetition. Yes. Because, you know, this is the first time since Abby and Jules joined the show in September of 2022 that we have all been on a recording together all at once. Hell yeah. Yay! <laughs> and I'm feeling dread, you know, but also excitement. <laughs> Because today we are here to record our annual COVID year in review episode. So without any further ado, welcome to COVID year four. Yeah. I'm Beatrice Adler-Bolton, as usual, and I'm here with all of my Death Panel co-hosts today. First, we have Artie Vierkant. Hello. Artie will be leading us today. Uh, This episode is a massive lift, so thank you in advance, Artie. Next, we have Phil Rocco. Hey. And Abby Cardis. Hello. And finally, Jules Gilpeterson. Hi. So we have a lot to get to. You know, I'm always kind of in a state of numb shock when we start these COVID year in review episodes. It's kind of this like overwhelming feeling where time is just fucking with you. So, (sighs) you know, why don't we just dive right in? Marty, I'll pass it to you. Okay. Welcome to COVID year four everybody um (laughs) i was gonna say and so i think before i get into if you've heard one of these before uh you know i'm gonna probably do a timeline that is the case for this year before i get into that though let's just start with those words covid Mm. year four Mm. (sighs) and i can't I kind of can't say anything different than I have in other years, which is that it both feels like it's been 10 years and three months. And I can't believe that it can feel that way for so long of a period of time. And that's kind of what I'm struggling with this time around. I mean, this time around feels different in the sense that, and I'm actually kind of fascinated not having known how you put this together already, but uh, this actually does feel like the first year in which the entire apparatus of following the pandemic sort of 
social prostheses mm-hmm. have been uh, mm-hmm. entirely gone. Yeah. And yeah, gutted, so totally. like yeah. it's I, I feel like it must have been more work for you to put together just the, mm. you know, all of the documentation this year. You have intuited correctly. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, yeah. I mean, if we want to try and make one silver lining, I guess we don't have to follow along the like spasms of, you know, Atlantic think pieces uh, from, <laughs> right. from Beltway people, right. uh, you know, that just kind true. of guiding us along as a kind of, you know, funeral dirge. Uh, sorry, that's very macabre. <laughs> I kind of miss those spasms. I though, know. I was because, just thinking that as I was saying it. <laughs> yeah. Like we've been talking about this a lot. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Like those spasms were kind of like the whetstone that I could sharpen myself against. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like without that, I have felt, I don't know, I feel pretty adrift in like the COVID coverage this year. So it'll be very interesting to see what <laughs> Artie has put together. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll return to that point because that's actually kind of pretty similar to something that I'm going to mm. kind of bring in as we're as we're getting towards the end. I guess the one thing that I would just say too about COVID year four, I mean, it is it is pretty staggering just to think about those words in themselves. It's also just really interesting to think like as B was kind of saying, it's you know, feels like ten years, but also feels like three months. But really, I mean, four years, you know, from let's say like when it was first discovered, fall twenty nineteen, until now, those four years, uh, it's actually just when you really think about it, that's such a short amount of time too yeah like that's actually a really in the grand scheme of things that is such a remarkable uh remarkably short timeline in terms of especially how quickly it's been normalized so in any case uh i'm gonna get started first i just have a couple quick things that i wanted to say uh right out the gate which is if you haven't heard one of these before so this as b mentioned this is our kind of uh covid year in review this is the 2023 edition Uh, in a sort of informal series of episodes where we try to recap the year in COVID normalization, or to put it another way, where we try to chronicle what we have been calling the sociological production of the end of the pandemic. In other Mm -hmm. words, how rhetoric, major policy decisions, the redistribution or termination of resources, and various actions of U.S. government officials have led to a premature notion that the pandemic is over. Even as COVID continues to spread, people continue to die and people continue to get long COVID. Um, So this series is comprised of this and a few other episodes, which I'll put links to in the description, but I'll also mention just briefly right here at the top. So COVID Year 2 was released in December 2021 and was explicitly focused on correcting a notion that was, I think, much, much more prevalent at the time uh, that it was recorded, at least, um, which is the idea that Biden had been doing a super good job on COVID (laughs) and that he couldn't be blamed for the virus running rampant. Um, COVID year three was released last year, December, 2022, and ran through what was a very aggressive year of COVID normalization. That one also had an offshoot, uh, kind of second full conversation, which was called how liberals killed masking that also kind of went back into 2021 stuff that was released around the same time, looking at how the Biden administration had, uh, kind of put policies, uh, or kind of undone policies of universal masking throughout the United States and uh, led to that kind of normalization of anti-mask sentiment among liberals. You'll notice there's no COVID year one, uh, or at least no episode by that exact name. In 2020, we hadn't uh, come up with the idea to do a year-end recap yet, I suppose. Um, (laughs) 
though uh, when we decided to do COVID year two, we did name it after an earlier episode, COVID year zero, mm. uh, which was released on, uh, and this gave me a sense of vertigo to look back up, March 15th, 2020. What? Yeah, what? March 15th. We recorded that one yeah. then? Um, so that one isn't a recap episode Fuck. uh instead it was something we recorded as we all had you know gone into isolation uh, we talked through what we knew and didn't know about COVID at the time that one features our old co-host vince patty as mm-hmm. well um i haven't revisited that episode in a while but my memory of it is that we called it COVID year zero because at the time a lot of politicians and media figures in the u.s were saying you know COVID's going to be over in two or three weeks by or whatever easter or something yeah by easter yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were like yeah right uh, yeah well, let's let's see some evidence of that <laughs> um we spent a lot of time in 2020 being like hey guys if you look at the history of past plagues, uh, like, it might take a while. So anyway. Hey, guys, we're pretending to know uh, the answers to questions that uh, we haven't even asked, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, this year, we also have uh, something of a companion episode. So last week, we released a discussion where we talked about how concrete data on COVID from tests to deaths, death statistics, has become increasingly abstracted and harder to come by over the course of the last few years, um, mm-hmm. leaving us knowing less than we ever have about the true state of things. So if you haven't heard that, uh, that's kind of like a, a preamble to this conversation. Anyway, without further ado, COVID year four. Mm. This year's episode has a lot of moving parts, but I'll share some of the big themes before we get to the timeline. 2023 and the COVID response was the year the Biden administration really turned most of the lights out. With so much of its pandemic policies, from public health protections to social safety net supports and funding already clawed back by the end of 2022, this year was the year they came for really anything that remained. Uh, The COVID public health emergency was sunsetted in May 2023, which many people then conflated with the end of the pandemic itself. Millions of people have been kicked off of Medicaid, about 11 million by now as of this recording. Masking was dropped even in healthcare settings, um, and a lot more happened that we're going to talk about in the next couple hours. Meanwhile, COVID is very much still around, and around all the time. It's not merely that we have waves and seasons of COVID or something like that, even though that's how it's often talked about. Um, My favorite illustration of this comes from two headlines that I want to contrast right at the top of the show that I will be mentioning again, I think, when we get to the part in the timeline. But so, for example, here's a headline from Fortune magazine from July 28th as a summer surge was underway in the U.S. Quote, has COVID-19 become a summer illness? Cases and hospitalizations are on the rise again. And to contrast this again with uh, this headline from a few months later, October 25th in The New York Times, Again, October 25th, quote, it's COVID season. What are the new rules for staying safe? So anyway, I think these are fascinating because if you look at the metrics, it's kind of always COVID season. It is. Um, Yeah, it's always COVID season. uh, But by the headline in October, you know, it's basically the same wave as being reported on in July. Um, But I think we're so far into this idea of the end of the pandemic now that these totally contiguous surges uh, are portrayed as anomalies. It's not a wave. Uh, It's an uptick. It's a looming uptick. That damn word. Little bump. I mean, let's be real. Like, the way that everyone conceptualizes illness and time has been so thoroughly fucked up (laughs) by the media (laughs) representation of COVID. Mm. It's like, I think we're going to see this kind of temporal minimization of disease just, like, applied to so many things going forward. Mm. Yeah. 
So I'm going to start the timeline now um, because we've got plenty to review. Just a final disclaimer. Uh, this is by no means exhaustive. There's plenty we either won't be getting into today or that we'll only be addressing in brief. What we will be getting into has been kind of selected to tell at least one story about what's happened in the last year. So part one, I think as is our custom at this point, uh, we're going to start our timeline for the last year, not in 2023, um, but in the fall of 2022 which should let us get some context of what was happening as COVID's third year came to a close. Um, it's also, I think, necessary because one of the things we tend to do in these year-end episodes is focus on events that we have some more distance from um, so we can make connections we might not have thought of in the moment. Um, but also because as we get towards the end of these episodes, I tend to put slightly less details into more recent months because we've often just talked about the events that uh, occurred on the show. So uh, this will take into account things that were that kind of had less detail in COVID year three. This year, we're actually going to start a little earlier in the fall than usual, because when you look at what we were all talking about at the beginning of the fall, it's striking just how quickly things have advanced. Um, so it's fall 2022. Mitigations. None, really. Mm. Mass mm -hmm. mandates. Haven't heard that name in years. Uh, <laughs> however, <laughs> vaccines and treatments are still free. For now, um, though, at the same time, a program that HHS had been uh, Health and Human Services had been running to pay for COVID treatment for the uninsured, including and especially the cost of hospitalization, uh, was no longer around, having been unceremoniously killed in March 2022. Um, there still isn't anything like it anymore. That's just gone, along with almost every other piece of the public health emergency related social safety net expansions like expanded unemployment insurance. Um, that program that paid for things like hospitalization for uninsured people is so thoroughly forgotten, in fact, that it's almost like it never happened, except it did happen, unlike things that never materialized during the public health emergency, like universal paid sick leave or COVID-specific OSHA protections for workers, or, you know, the list could go vaccine on. Vaccine outreach program. Single payer, I don't know. Yeah, vaccine mm -hmm. outreach. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, our COVID data picture is beyond murky. As we talked about last week, um, testing and vaccination centers are almost universally closed. This means a couple of things. Uh, one, there isn't good reporting anymore on how many actual COVID cases there are. Uh, the best we have is wastewater data, which shows alarming spikes, but wastewater data is only available in the few areas of the country that actually collect that data. Um, testing by fall 2022 is almost exclusively the domain of at-home rapid tests, which, while convenient, have a couple of big issues. <laughs> the first issue with at-home tests is reporting. There's just no way of knowing how many people are testing positive anymore because the tests are done in private. The second issue is the cost. Uh, rapid tests typically cost $20 or more. They're supposed to be covered by private insurance, but as everyone knows, supposed to be covered by insurance comes <laughs> with a lot of asterisks in the United States. <laughs> Uh, which can sometimes include a lot of administrative burdens that decrease use. Um, I don't know why I said sometimes. Typically do. Always do. In the fall of 2022, the Biden administration responds to pressure over this exact issue by putting up a new round of free mail order COVID tests, as they also recently did this year. Uh, but they didn't bother to do this until December 15th, the very end of the year. So from <laughs> December 15th, anyone who went to covidtest.gov uh, could get a grand total of four home rapid tests um, per address or per household. Uh, that's not a lot, especially when you consider the third issue with at-home COVID tests, uh, rapid tests, which is that false negatives are common, so common, in fact, the FDA guidance on how to use the test properly is to test once, test a second time within 48 hours, 
And if both of those are negative, test yet a third time shortly after that in order to get accurate results. So effectively on December 15th, the Biden administration says each household is entitled to about one and one third at home rapid tests. <laughs> um, I love all the people that clapped and were like, yes, look at what Biden is doing. Well, they should be sending them. They should send a lot more. I know, but gonna, when you lay it out relative to the actual usage of the tests and how far that gets one family, right? It yeah. was a ridiculously small, insultingly small amount. Um, so all this is to say, as we've said time and time again, as of, you know, let's say mid 2022, we simply have no fucking idea how many COVID cases are happening anymore. Um, that being said, as we'll talk about in a little bit, that's not to say we don't have any data in fall 2022 until October, for example, uh, CDC is still doing daily reporting on the number of positive COVID tests uh, that it is capturing, except on October 6th, the CDC announces it will no longer report daily COVID cases, uh, moving to weekly reporting instead. Um, mm. This will become a theme. In terms of normalization of COVID or what we've called the sociological production at the end of the pandemic, there are a couple other events we have to keep in mind. Uh, we'll only run a, through a couple of the big hits just for to make sure we all have the context. I promise this will be relevant later. Um, <laughs> but September 19th, Joe Biden tells 60 Minutes the pandemic is over. Uh, quote, the pandemic is over. The context <laughs> is he's giving an interview at the Detroit Auto Show, and he goes on to say, quote, if you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everyone seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing. And I think this is a perfect example of it, unquote. First of many raises of my blood pressure. Yeah. This you folks look wonderful from here. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, as we pointed out at the time, his administration has quite a lot to do with why people were not wearing masks at that event. Um, so that's what we call a tautology, I suppose. Yes. Um, Please see our episode, How Liberals Killed Masking. Yep. Speaking of masking, one thing I think we only maybe briefly touched on in uh, COVID year three, uh, on September 23rd, four days after Biden's comment at the Detroit Auto Show, the CDC quietly updates its masking guidance late on a Friday afternoon, also known as the best time to bury things. Mm. <laughs> they update their guidance to clarify they no longer recommend universal masking in healthcare settings. Um, this will be very important to our timeline this year. As far as the discourse around masking as a whole, it's bleak. By the end of 2022, as we've documented elsewhere, the Biden administration position, as well as general liberal sentiment, is more or less in line with, to quote David Leonhardt, as he famously put it, masks work, but mandates don't. We've done some episodes, including recently, on why this is wrong uh, and why a policy of one-way masking is not sufficient, um, uh, you know, a sufficient way to deal with a population-level health threat. Uh, so I'm not going to go into too much detail to rebut that, but again, I'll put like a link in the description. Um, I will say that as of fall 2022, the Biden administration does start to shrug off the utility of universal masking much more blatantly. That's not to say that their many guidance changes over the years weren't blatant, but to say that their tone is more explicit. This is perhaps best illustrated by a comment that White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator Ashish Jha says in a Philadelphia Inquirer live stream on December 15th of 2022 that, quote, the notion that you could cut respiratory infections... There is no study in the world that shows that masks work that well. He is You're such a fucking clown. <laughs> such a fucking clown. Uh, quote, you're never going to get the kind of benefit from mandatory year-round masking as you would from making substantial improvements to indoor air quality somewhere in Which the ether. Which we're totally doing. 
And you can only Joseph ever Allen, pick one. Take me out to dinner, please. Like I was just going to say somewhere out there, Joseph Allen is clapping. Um, uh, so again, you know, first of all, this is wrong and a hell of a thing for the White House COVID czar to say. Um, second, though, just to allow myself to be a little glib, um, I guess Ashish Shah doesn't read the New England Journal of Medicine because his comments came just a couple weeks after the journal released a big study by, uh, among others, Ellie Murray. <laughs> Uh, a former guest of ours uh, and a number of, again, other co-authors showing pretty definitively that mask mandates work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing that we can say definitively about what we've learned from the pandemic. Yeah, there's no way Ashish Jha reads the New England Journal of Medicine. I know. Like, just allow me to be there's petty. There's simply no <laughs> <You know>? way. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, in the fall, the Biden administration and the media uh, was also leaning in on a reframing of the fall as a catch-all respiratory disease season. Uh, the term triple-demic, triple-demic. W- was thrown around a lot, <laughs> yeah. uh, as it has been this year. Um, as we said at the time, and to borrow a specific point from Abby, actually, Abby, you said something last fall to the effect that uh, the idea of syndemics, in other words, multiple mm-hmm. overlapping epidemics or pandemics, is pretty common in epidemiologic literature. What isn't common and what was novel was the idea of a syndemic being invoked in order to minimize the severity of all three constituent epidemics. (laughs) Um, So uh, to move off from the Biden administration for the moment, this idea of the triple-demic overlaps with one of the other big pieces of discourse swirling in the media in fall 2022, which is, of course, the idea of immunity debt. If that sounds familiar or you feel like you've been hearing a lot about that phrase recently, uh, I'll just say, remember this concept as we'll certainly be returning to it much later. Um, We didn't get into this too much in last year's year in review because we had just done a whole episode about the concept of immunity debt. Um, But I'm just going to summarize the concept and its history really, really briefly, and we can maybe return to it much later. Um, I'll read from what I think is an indicative description. So this is an article on CNN's website from October 28th, 2022, describing the idea of immunity debt and uncritically repeating it as truth. Quote, the measures that helped keep us safe from COVID-19 over the past two and a half years, lockdowns, physical distancing, wearing masks, washing hands, also helped limit the spread of other viruses. As people return to school and work and take off their masks, those viruses, including respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, and flu uh, are back in full force. That immunity gap or immunity debt from the last few years is probably behind the unprecedented early surge in RSV infections this year, scientists say, and it has thrown other seasonal respiratory viruses out of whack around the world, unquote. I love how Protestant it is, which I may, I might've even said on the show before, but I love, I love this. Like you're going to pay for it someday. We love debt here. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't suffer now, you'll suffer later. To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash death panel pod. You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron only episodes. And be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops. With love, the death panel.